Welcome back, Googleization Nation, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, Googleization, a podcast from the People Forward Network. On this episode, you are going to hear from the distinguished chief economist at the Burning Glass Institute, Gad Levinon. Gad is going to help us answer two questions everyone seems to be asking. One, where have all the workers gone? And two, when will these labor shortages end? I am your host, Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're the heart and soul of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and exploring the convergence of technology, people, and work. Jason, here's something that I don't think most of our listeners are aware of. A lot of finger pointing. It goes to the millennials, it goes to Gen Z, it goes to pay, it goes to inflation, it goes to the wrong administration, the wrong political party, lots of finger pointing. But here's something that most people don't know. In 1950, more than 70 years ago, four out of five working age men had a job. Today, 2022, it's only three out of five. What happened to all these male workers? Where did they go? Well, you can count me as shocked. When you shared that with me, I just like did a double take when you sent it to me via email. I was like, is this accurate? I mean, is this true? And I trust it is, but it's just shocking to me. And some of the questions in my mind were, do we have shrinking rates in terms of males in the population? Are males taking up different kinds of work that maybe aren't accounted for by the kind of metrics that are measured in the workforce? Like, is it more gig work? Those were just a couple that came to mind amongst many others, but I'm glad that we have Gab with us today because I'm sure he has the answers, being an expert in this area, to help us understand where have the men gone in the workforce. And I've been saying that, and, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, my book, and I always say, if, if I could figure this out, if, if I saw the writing on the wall 20 years ago, the perfect labor storm then it had to be there. And the pandemic, the last two years, literally just pulled back a curtain on kind of a failing labor market infrastructure that was out there. Because we've heard about, first it was Gen Z, no, first it was Gen X, then it was millennials, then it was Gen Z, then it was women, then it was education. And it was it was one by one, skill gaps, training, work ethic, now caregivers. I mean, there were so many, so many factors. And if there is one person that seems to have a grasp of where everything is, it is our guest today. And that's Gad Levinant. I I just want to read this because it's it's such a distinguished career and, and, and I don't want to miss anything. Just this week, he joined a new nonprofit called the Burning Glass Institute. It's a new venture from Burning Glass Technologies, which is leading. I mean, they just lead on some of the studies and the, and the data and, uh, on, on where our workforce is going. But he, he just left a distinguished career at the conference board for 18 years. And 18 years is almost an eternity these days and, and holding a, and a, and a job like that. There, he was the founder of the Labor Market Institute and the Let Help Wanted online program. His research focused on trends in the U.S. and globally, and he's a regular contributor to Forbes magazine, which most people uh, are familiar with. He also won the Consensus Economics Forecast Accuracy Award for the U.S. economy while he was at the uh, conference board. So everybody needs to pay attention. Let's welcome Gad Levinon to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. 
Thank you, Ira and Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Gad. And, and again, congratulations on, on the move to Burning Glass. But you got an interesting background, too. You didn't, you didn't start out as a chief economist, right? As a kid, you didn't grow up saying, what I want to be as a chief economist. I grew up in Israel, but I, I should say that uh, I kind of very early on knew that I wanted to be an economist. It's kind of the combination of interest in the real world and love of data uh, that is a, a very good combination uh, in the economics uh, field. We, we got a burning question, and there, there's a couple of things we want to answer, and we're going to kind of get to these, and, and one of these we'll get to uh, at the end. But the question is, I was standing in line last night. We, we went into uh, the city just for you know, kind of a celebration, and on the way out, I was waiting, you know, we were waiting in line to reclaim our car, and the person in front of us was complaining about, you know, they need more workers. Why is it taking so long? And somebody chimed in. I, I was just an observer, somebody chimed in and said, well, it's so hard to find people these days. And then, and somebody looked in, oh, there's actually three people in there. And and then the, 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 the conversation immediately switched to, well, then they need to train their people better. So it went from, oh, there's not enough people. Oh, there are enough people. Oh, then they're not trained well. People just are pointing fingers all over the place. So one of the questions is, where have all the workers gone? Because we've got, I believe you're going to, you'll correct me on this. There's 11 million open jobs, but there's only 8 million, about 8 million people looking for those, ready to kind of fill those. Where's everybody go? That's a great question. And the lack of supply of workers and, and the labor shortages, I think it's important to recognize that while it was accelerated during the pandemic, it didn't start in the pandemic. There are kind of more um, fundamental roots to, to this uh, problem. Uh, and I think uh, there are several things going on. One is that the working age population for the first time in U.S. history is not growing anymore. Um, that's because of so many baby boomers are uh, reaching uh, a retirement age and uh, the Generation Z that is replacing them is just not big enough. And on top of that, there is a, a, a big decline in immigration. So just if you look at the number of people, the trend already starts there. And then there are the issues of the labor force participation. And, and related to your question, the people that do exist, why aren't they uh, working? And I think uh, there are several uh, reasons for that. Uh, even before the pandemic. Um, one is uh, a lot of uh, young men, especially, um, are living with their uh, parents. And uh, that's a huge trend, uh, especially young men. Men aged 25 to 34 without a BA, almost 30% of them are now living at home with their parents. And when you live at home, you don't need to pay bills. Uh, you don't uh, have a family to take care of. Uh, and uh, the kind of you're less desperate uh, to work. So we've seen a big decline, uh, especially for men without a BA in, in their uh, labor force participation. That, that's one thing. Uh, another issue is during the recent decades, there was a big increase in the share of people who uh, are not in the labor force due to disability. And part of it is because there was a truly a deterioration in uh, 
health conditions of uh, people, a lot of it uh, related to drug addiction and mental health. But it's also easier now to get uh, disability insurance than it was several decades ago. So, so those two things are, are reducing the number of uh, people who are uh, willing uh, to work and uh, or able uh, to work. That's a lot of people. I mean, we're we're talking about twenty percent of the male population. I don't know the exact number, but I assume that's some somewhere in the na- neighborhood of like fifteen to or twenty million people. Well, I, I think here it's worth clarifying that the, the numbers that you mentioned are for the entire adult population. So a lot of the decline is simply because there are many a larger share of the population is at a retirement age right now. So. Uh, so when we talk about labor force participation, we should kind of separate between the aging of the population and the drop in the labor force participation for the working age. Both those things are happening at the same time. Is there a significant difference with different socioeconomic groups, gender groups, ethnic groups? So the, the drop in recent decades was much stronger for men than for women. And it was much stronger for people without a BA than for people with a BA. So those are kind of the two main trends uh, in in labor force participation. And then I assume with that, it also impacted the Hispanic and the Black groups, since they generally don't get higher education. Right. And there are some uh, groups like Hispanic women that... uh, have a lower labor force participation uh, for, I guess, uh, cultural reasons, although there is a a strong uh, increase there, but uh, some groups are kind of less attached to the labor force. But but all of this is is kind of was even before the pandemic. I think once the pandemic hit, there were kind of new reasons for the drop uh, from the labor force. Uh, You know, some people were afraid to get infected. Some people had to, uh, parents had to, take care of their kids uh, during school closures. And there was this, in general, there was a shift towards being more picky uh, or more kind of not taking every job uh, that was there, but uh, being a little more selective that uh, about which job to have, but also about whether we should work at all. That also raised the, the the problem during the pandemic, and that was especially true for older uh, workers. So, if you look at the population sixty five and above, they had the biggest drop in labor force participation during the pandemic. So, Gad, are there any like short term solutions to the current labor shortage that you see? Kind of from a macro perspective, the best way to add workers to an economy is to have a stronger or larger immigration. I think it could be a short-term solution, but it's probably not going to happen. There is a, you know, immigration is a very um, controversial topic and labor shortages is not the only thing that uh, matters in those discussions. Uh, But I think this uh, could have uh, helped a lot. I, I think in general, there, we saw it before the pandemic where there was also a pretty significant labor shortage that a lot of companies uh, hired groups of workers that were not their typical hires. So, like for example, there was a huge increase in the labor force participation of Hispanic women that time. during that time. In general, women 
were hired uh, for jobs that they typically do not do do not take. Uh, there was a very strong increase in the share of women in truck driving, for example, in recent years. There were things like lowering educational requirement in hiring, because if you keep your previous educational requirement and experience requirements, you just are unable to fill those jobs. So uh, we've seen a, a decline in, in, in those requirements. And of course, I think the most kind of uh, straightforward way for a company to deal with labor shortages is to raise pay. And that we've seen big time in, in the past year. Of course, that raises the inflation question, which we can we can talk about to, as an economist. But there's a couple other things. And we, we keep glancing over this because we talked about the male participation rate dropping over the last 70 years uh, and not not just in the last two years because of COVID. Uh, the female participation rate at the same time in, 19, in 1950, I believe, was 32 percent. One out of three women were uh, working age women were working in the workforce. And then it, it went up to almost 60 percent. I believe, uh, right before the pandemic, and then sort of it was leveling off, and then it, it crashed with the she session, which many people called it, this exodus. And again, that was partly because uh, people were locked at home, had the kids who was, you know, women are still the primary caregivers. Am I correct in, in that, that that masked, that, that actually masked the problem up until the pandemic? I would say there was a huge increase in the labor force participation of women through the 90s, like started in in World War II and through the 90s. Since then, it kind of plateaued, uh, and uh, during the pandemic, it took a, a big hit, as a, for the reasons you you've mentioned. It is getting better, though. So the the she session was a um, more visible, I would say, a year ago, and, and in there has been some improvement in the labor force participation of women versus men in, in recent months. So that's a kind of hopefully returning to normal. Are there some industries that are being hit hardest and, and others that you see as, you know, I don't want to say anybody's safe, but safer? Because we have listeners in, in all different walks of life, in all different uh, businesses. So, you know, who, who should be most concerned and, and who at least can take a deep breath for a little bit? So before I get specific, the, the big picture, I think, and that is something that uh, I've been writing on for quite uh, for several years now, but I don't think it's a kind of common knowledge, uh, is that uh, the labor shortage is more noticeable and more disruptive in blue-collar and manual services jobs than it is in kind of the highly educated white-collar jobs, which is the exact opposite of most decades in the post-war era. And and the reason is, the main reason is that while the number of working age people with a BA is continuing to grow nicely by about 2% a year, the number of uh, people in the working age without a BA is uh, shrinking rapidly. And, and that's because a larger share of younger people are getting a BA now compared to people who are about to retire. And uh, if you have a BA, you're not uh, being a plumber is not your top choice, or or being a truck driver. So the number of uh, people who are willing to take those types of jobs is shrinking, and and that led to the blue collar labor shortage before the pandemic, and also adding to the uh, labor shortage now. I, I think the pandemic added a few special 
reasons for for the kind of the blue color labor shortage. I I, I think uh, you know in terms of risk of getting infected or risk getting infected while you get to work, uh, that had a much bigger impact on uh, people who actually have to leave home for their job and interact with other people. You know, wearing a mask that's also a, a deterrent or making the, the work much less attractive. So we had in a lot of those jobs, uh, you know, leisure and hospitality, transportation, those were uh, health, healthcare. I think they're probably the, the number one industry in terms of uh, risk of labor shortages, both now and in the future, is healthcare. Uh, it's um, a very fast-growing industry. Aging baby boomers uh, are creating a lot of demand. So there is a strong growth in, in the demand for healthcare workers. But on the other hand, a lot of people are retiring in those uh, in, in those industries. And I think the, the shift to remote work is making that industry somewhat less attractive because if you're starting your career now and you have a choice between a career where you can work from home or in a career where you cannot work from home, uh, healthcare is uh, relatively will become less attractive, not just healthcare, but also teachers and uh, all kinds of other jobs where you cannot uh, work from home. So I, I think healthcare is a, it's a very high risk. If you want to be more specific, I would also say like in, in tech, in general, there are a lot of people who want to go to tech. So that helps. But the demand for tech workers is so growing so rapidly, especially in jobs in, in data science and, and uh, information security. Those uh, things are, are growing very rapidly and, and are likely to cause shortages there as well. So, Gad, at the start of the show, Ira mentioned that you, you literally have won an award for being a master at predicting trends, particularly around the economy. And so I want to throw a, a couple at you, and I, I want to hear your predictions. I know Ira does too, and our listeners. And the two predictions I'd like to ask you about are, number one, do you see anything changing with COVID in terms of the, the labor market and the economy? As it's starting to look, we have some glimmers of hope that maybe we're through the worst of it, quote unquote. But do you see an end in sight in terms of the COVID effects for the, the labor shortage and economy? I clearly, in the last two years, I realized that I'm a much uh, better um, economist than epidemiologist. But I do think that the most likely scenario is that the war, the most disruptive part of the pandemic is behind us. And moving forward, it will be uh, become less disruptive. Uh, you know, uh, more and more people are vaccinated, even though it could be much better. Also, treatment is getting better. Uh, so I think the most likely scenario is that it will become less disruptive. And that means that a lot of those in-person services industries that were suffered a lot during the pandemic are going to have a very strong recovery in 2022. You know, restaurants, hotels, travel, barbershops, beauty salons, uh, all of those industries that the demand for them suffered dramatically during the pandemic and are still far from normal, they are going to see strong growth in 2022. And um, that will make uh, the labor shortages even more severe because many of the job seekers will end up uh, finding a job uh, during that year. Um, 
on the positive side, I think a lot of the disruption to the supply of labor will also uh, diminish during that uh, period. So people who are afraid to get infected a year from now are probably going to be less concerned about that. So we could see some return to the labor market. But but in general, and I think that's kind of one of the main messages that I think our listeners should uh, take is that this labor shortage is not one year thing that will be over. Uh, I think it's the new normal. And the reason is that we are now moving from a pandemic driven labor shortage to kind of a normal labor shortages that is simply a result of the very low unemployment rate. So we are now at 4%. We could easily be at 3% unemployment rate by the end of the year. And if history is any guide, the unemployment rate continues to go down until the next recession, which could be potentially five, 10 years from now. So I think if you're kind of thinking that oh, this is just a temporary thing and, and uh, six months from now we'll have a, net, a normal labor market, that's not likely to be to be the case. And then the second one would be automation. Where do you see some predictions in terms of how automation may come into play regarding the economy and the labor shortage? I think that the potential for automation is probably the number one offset or that could be the number one offset to the labor shortage. Um, you know, entering the pandemic, I, I was not uh, very optimistic about automation because the decade before the pandemic was the decade with the least automation uh, in U.S. history. Or maybe I'll, I'll put it in different words. Automation is strongly related to labor productivity uh, growth or how uh, much workers could be replaced by technology or by more efficient management or things like that. So labor productivity growth in the decade before the pandemic was the weakest in U.S. history. So I kind of, after observing that decade, I was not that uh, optimistic. I, I kind of felt that a lot of the low-hanging fruit of replacing workers with technology already took place in earlier decades. But I, I think the, the pandemic and especially the shift to remote does open and already uh, led to to some improvements uh, that I think will get a clearer picture uh, in the next year or two. But to give you an example, uh, before the pandemic, many people did not know how to uh, cash a check uh, remotely and they had to go to a bank. And now many more know how to do it remotely. So we see commercial banks, that they had a big drop in the number of workers there. So I think this kind of digital transformation, not just of companies, but also of consumers and households, is leading to uh, some uh, improvement in that. So I, I think uh, we, we will see more pressure and more improvement in automation and labor productivity that but I don't think it will be enough to offset the, the dramatic demographic trends that we are seeing. You mentioned that the, the prior decade, it surprised you how much automation may impact this in the future. But for the last 10 years, the last decade, uh, it wasn't as strong as a force. There's a lot of people that may argue with you because, because they're saying that their jobs were replaced by that or there's so much technology that they have to learn and do and things are changing. Can you explain that a little bit, where that comes from? So it is, um, I would say, 
right after the financial crisis and, and the years after that, uh, there was a massive, I would say, industry uh, discussing how uh, in the future many people would not be able to work because there won't be enough jobs because so many of those will be automated. But that uh, didn't happen. And, and I think it's not that automation disappeared or replacing workers with technology disappeared. It uh, It is continuing to happen all the time, but it just simply much less degree to compare to, let's say, the 90s and the 2000, between 2000 and 2010, especially in manufacturing. Uh, we've seen almost no growth in labor productivity in the decade before the pandemic, but because a lot of the low-hanging fruit of replacing workers with robotics and technology already took place before. Also, you can think of a lot of, I would say, office routine jobs like typists or executive assistants or a lot of clerical uh, positions that were automated uh, before. So, so those millions of people lost their jobs uh, until 2010. And after that, there was just simply, it was harder to replace the next workers, worker with technology. Um, I think, as I said, the pandemic and the digital digital transformation that occurred during the pandemic, I think, will give it a, a boost. But you know, among economists, the, the kind of the topic of the decline in labor productivity growth was a, a very important debate uh, in the decade before the pandemic. But it didn't, I guess, reach broader audiences during that time. I know if this question is going through my mind, that's probably going through other people's mind again. And then just look inside a an Amazon warehouse, and you see all these these ro robots going wrong. So you're you're talking about labor productivity, but there was a lot of automation, but it it also created new jobs, new opportunity. So yeah, th there are still areas like warehousing where there was continued automation. But you know, a lot also of the of the innovation and new things that came into our life during the past decade were not job killers, in the same way that uh, you know having a robot replace assembly workers, or uh, in the way that personal computers uh, replaces uh, the work of an executive assistant. A lot of the new technology that came didn't kill jobs. It um, improved our lives in, in other ways. There, there's so many questions that I've got. And, and I, I want to ask this uh, again, so we can give a, a takeaway for our for the listeners. What do you look at first? I mean, when, when you want a kind of a quick snapshot of where the labor market's going, where the job market's going, what do you look at first? So I first look at the economy, because the economy is a huge driver of the labor market. When you have strong growth, you have strong job growth. You know, I my background is in macroeconomics and I got into labor only later in my career. So I think that the connection between the economy and the, the labor market is, uh, is extremely important. Uh, so I start with the kind of the economy and the job growth, and then I look at trends in labor force participation and, and demographics and uh, demographics is moving uh, relatively slowly but labor force participation could move more quickly and kind of uh, the combination of uh, the demand for workers and the supply of workers if you understand those 
you understand a lot of what's happening in the in the labor market. So one last question on that, and then we're going to kind of go into our lightning round here, kind of wrap things up for you. One of the things that that that's going on right now uh, is everybody looks at the can't wait for the unemployment number to come out, the unemployment rate. Is the unemployment rate more looking in the rear view mirror or is a good predictor of where things are going? Luckily, economics is not easy because otherwise people would just look at the unemployment rate and they wouldn't need me. But <laughs> so luckily, the unemployment rate is not a perfect uh, measure of kind of labor market tightness. And a good example of that was in the beginning of the current labor shortage around April, May, June, the unemployment rate was still elevated, but the labor market was extremely tight because uh, a lot of the people who were counted as unemployed, they didn't really uh, seriously look for a job. There were very high unemployment benefits. They were afraid to get infected, all, all of the things that we talked about before. So in that uh, example, uh, the unemployment rate was uh, misleading. But luckily, there are a lot of other, not a lot, but there are some other uh, indicators of labor market tightness. I I'll, I'll can give a few examples. Uh, the NFIB, National Federation of Independent Business, they have good uh, survey that asks, uh, a monthly survey that has good questions about uh, labor market tightness. Uh, there are some government surveys about the quits rate, for example, or the ratio between job openings and hires, which is also a good measure of labor market tightness. So you could see them and divergence of those measures from the unemployment rate, and you realize, yeah, something is going on here that is not captured by the unemployment rate. So to a short answer to your question, the unemployment rate is not enough as a summary statistic of the labor market. Thank you. So we got a real quick lightning round here. First question, if you had to pick one word to describe the coming year, what's the word? Recovery. What's the best advice you ever got but ignored? Probably focus and learning more how to program. I, I do know how, but I, I think like in this day and age, uh, data is uh, such a, and a lot of big data is such a big part of our life and our economist career that if I was a better programmer, I think I would benefit from that. Is there a book that you would recommend that you think everybody should read? Well, my my favorite book of all time is uh, there is an Israel. You know, I'm Israeli, and there is a, an Israeli writer who just passed away a couple of years ago, Amos Oz, and he wrote a book, uh, a story about love and darkness. It's about uh, somewhat biographic. His mother committed suicide when he was a, a boy, and it's not a happy book, but I think even for non-Israelis. It is a, an amazing book. And the title of that again was? A, a Story of Love and Darkness. We have you back. Uh, hopefully it's before next year this time. What will we be talking about? What are you going to be talking about? Unfortunately, we will still uh, be talking about labor shortages. I, I think one thing, you know, um, that we didn't talk about today, but, you know, I, I think that we are now experiencing two, like once in a century, trends happening at the same time. The, the labor shortage is one of them, but the shift to remote work is the other one. But I, I think the, those two, that the fact that they're happening at the same time, 
will have a major impact on on the labor market and the economy so i think looking at what what is the new work equilibrium in terms of how many people work from home how many people are in the office what types of jobs what locations the impact of where people uh, live and work from uh, all of those things are changing dramatically Gad, really, really appreciate that. I know you got an incredibly busy schedule. Uh, this has been a really wonderful conversation. People can get in touch with you on LinkedIn and also Burning Glass Institute. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Ireland, Jason. It was a pleasure. Jason, uh, we could have spent, I, I can listen to him all day long. So, <laughs> and there, I have more questions now than I did before, but hopefully we were able to answer. Uh, a lot of the questions that are on people's mind, or at least uh, demystify, uh, take away some of the myths that are going out there. What's it take? What's one takeaway? What what did what shocked you the most? When we were talking about automation, and he tied automation into this is a metric I've never heard of, which isn't a surprise because I'm not an economist like Gad. But when he talked about labor productivity growth and how over the last decade that was a much slower pace, and if you would have asked me. A question of, hey, over the last decade, was it the slowest over the last century in terms of automation? There's no way I would have said that. But then when he framed it within the context of there was still innovation going on, but it wasn't affecting the jobs per se. Like it wasn't replacing people's jobs. It was more like holding my phone up here. Like we were getting technology that was more accessible for us as consumers or our everyday lives. That was really eye-opening to me to hear that. And I think it also sets us up for a next decade of great opportunity where we heard Gad say there's going to be need for people to be working with the technology. And so the the opportunity to upskill people for those higher level jobs and to work with the technology, that there shouldn't be this abject fear out there from people that the technology is going to replace their jobs. Of course, that would I asked him the question because I was I was shocked that he said that, and I think it's a it's a combination of looking at the labor productivity or the fear that machines were going to take people's jobs. They weren't going to take people's jobs. It just created new jobs or new challenges or opportunity to upskill, and then the economy was growing. We've heard a lot of this, and obviously, I'm a student of this. And you know, for everybody out there that the that the economy is going to continue to grow probably for the next five to ten years, labor shortages aren't going away. But also uh, what I sort of missed, I mean, we talk about it, but we talk about them as two different events. We talk about the labor shortages and we talk about jobs. And then we talk about remote work and we we sort of wrap it up into that is that, well, that's a piece of it. What Gad said right at the end was, oh, wow, we missed that. These are two huge events, or as I call them, storms that converged. At the same time, it, it's not that remote work is part of the labor shortages. It's causing some of the labor shortages. And it's also an event on its own that if people don't address that as a separate separate event, then they're, they're going to miss the point. It's not just the small ingredient in there. It's, it's the whole cake. And, and to think like we, we've lived through it, you know, it's only been a couple of years, but we don't know what things are going to look like even a year, two, three years down the road in doing this remote work. We're in the very infancy stages of it and knowing how it's going to impact a lot of these macro data kind of numbers that our experts like Gad look at when we're evaluating the health of the economy, the health of the labor markets, 
And so we'll be excited to, to get with him on more of that because who knows, there may be new metrics that he comes up with here in the next year or two that take some of that into consideration that we have to look at when we analyze the health of these markets. I'm Jason Cochran. You've been listening to Geeks, Geezers, Googleization. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'm Ira Wolf. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs>